back to school is as easy as one, two, three, go! With Super Value Online Shopping, save over 65 euro on your weekly family shop by shopping our own brand low prices range, over 2,000 weekly special offers and using your weekly money off vouchers. It's that easy. Shop online today at supervalue.ie and click and collect from your local store at a time that suits you. Super Value makes saving money as easy as one, two, three, I like that. Whispering. Whispering Streets. And here is Betty Davis. Hello. The efficient real estate agent, the successful one, is known and liked by everybody in the community be it a country community or a city one. And Arnold Parker was a fine example of this rule. He was a cordial man. He was straightforward and sincere. That's why he was able to scoop so many people on the buying and selling of property. Why he obtained information that was withheld from most real estate men. He was just entering Gibson's drugstore one noon when Henry Ordway, an old friend, came down the street looking quiet and repressed as usual. Arnold hailed him. Hello there, Henry. How's everything at your house? Well, it's not for sale, if that's what you mean. No, no, that's not what I mean, and you know it. Come along with me and have a bite of lunch. I haven't eaten lunch for so many years, Arnold. I've forgotten there is such a meal. Now, heck, you don't need to diet. I'm not dieting. I, uh, I have another reason. Well, I'll break down this once and have a cup of coffee with you, Arnold. Good deal. Come on in. Ah, two seats way at the end of the counter there. We're in luck. Yeah, I'll take the last one because I'll be leaving first. Okay. Ham and Swiss cheese on rye, Kathy, and a chocolate malted. Mr. Ordway will have a cup of coffee. Okay, Mr. Arnold. Ham and Swiss on rye coming right up. Uh, speaking of houses coming on the market, you know that handsome stone house set back among the pine trees at the very north end of town that belongs to a fellow named Stark? Well, I've often driven by the house, but I've never met Stark. As a matter of fact, I've never even seen him. Well, I've never seen him in the daylight myself, but often when I've been walking on a Saturday or Sunday evening, I've caught a glimpse of him with that dog of his. Awful big dog. I can't figure out the breed. It might be a combination of Irish wolfhound and Afghan. <laughs> and have you noticed it always walks a few feet behind it? Here's your sandwich, Mr. Parker, your chocolate malted. You want your coffee black or white, Mr. Ordway? Oh, I'll have milk in it, Kathy. Here you are, Mr. Ordway. You and Mr. Parker were talking about Mr. Stark, weren't you? That's right. I passed him once on the road. Getting dark and he glared at me. And his dog growled. I'm not used to being glared at by men and growled at by dogs. I should think not. My son thinks you're one of the prettiest girls in town. Ah, don't tease me, Mr. Ordway. If you want anything else, let me know, Mr. Parker. Yes, I will. Um, you were talking about houses coming on the market, Henry. What makes you think Stark's house might be for sale? With a man so obviously unhappy and lives alone, well, you can't help feeling that he'd like to uh, kind of get away from it all. Perhaps you're right. If I were you, I'd drop in on this fellow sometime. Mm -mm. <laughs> he might set his dog on me. <laughs> well, perhaps he is worth a chance. Thanks, Henry, for the tip, Henry. I'll call on him one night. Mm -hmm. 
off making that call on the mysterious Mr. Stark until one grisly evening when his car broke down in front of the stone house on the edge of town. Arnold decided this would be a good excuse to go up to the door and ask if he might use the phone to call the local garage. He was walking down the path that was bordered by dark trees when suddenly... Stand where you are. Uh, Hello, I... I didn't see you, Mr. Stark. It's so dark tonight. Just what are you doing? Trespassing on my property? Yeah, I... Quiet, Pete. Uh, hi there, food. <coughs> Most dogs like me. Your dog's the exception. Pete has always distrusted strangers. Yes, well, I... Well, it's just a good idea to have such a dog when a fellow lives in a lonely spot like this. Uh, look, Mr. Stark, my car's broken down. I was... Wondering if I might use your phone to call the garage. Uh, I suppose it'll be all right. Follow me. We'll keep as far from fate as possible. You'll be safer that way. In just a moment, Betty Davis will be back again. But first... Let's talk about Social Security for a few moments. Social Security benefits to a serviceman increase with promotion and higher earnings in the years ahead. You'll be fully insured for Social Security with 10 years of civilian employment or service time credit. Actually, older personnel near 65 may require somewhat less than 10 years Social Security credit time in order to be insured. The law which brought servicemen under Social Security did so with a provision that military time back to 1951 can now be counted towards Social Security credit. Well, that means, potentially, the serviceman can have six years of free Social Security credit. However, this free credit is only for servicemen who have had some active duty since January 1st of 1957. It was in January of 57 that servicemen began earning and paying for full Social Security coverage in just the same way as civilians. But for the serviceman, Social Security is something extra. Your service time now counts not only for Social Security, but also goes as credit toward regular military retirement. Have you investigated your Social Security benefits? And now, back to our story with Betty Davis. So Arnold Parker followed this strange man and his strange dog to the shadowy house and stood aside as its owner opened the door and touched an electric switch. Yeah, uh, the phone's in the living room. Follow me. Uh, there it is. On that table. Uh, Down, face. Uh, make your phone call and get it over with, please. Thanks. We'll lose. Al's garage? Uh, look, this is Arnold Parker. My car's broken down in front of the stock place with a... No, it's a stone house about three miles from Highway 7B. Yeah, sure, you know the place. Okay, then, but as soon as possible. Al says he'll send somebody in half, three quarters of an hour. I'll sit outside in the car if you say so, Mr. Stark, but it would be a heap more pleasant stay in here. Pleasant. Objection sustained. Comfortable. Well, if you must, sit down. Thank you. Cigarette? I smoke a pipe. Oh, well, I like a pipe myself sometimes. 
Don't you get lonesome living way out here? Naturally. Ever thought of selling? I thought of it. That's as far as it goes. Why do you ask? Well, it just so happens that I'm in the real estate business. My name's Arnold Parker. But no, 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 no. <laughs> My car has really broken down. I didn't use it as a way of getting into your house. It just happened. But now that I am inside, well, business is business. What's the matter, Mr. Stark? It looks as if you're in pain. No, I happened to be at the limit of my endurance. Mr. Stark, look here, sir. I, I, I'm a stranger to you. You're a stranger to me. I'm a stranger to myself at times. Aren't we all? Mr. Stark, a, a man who babbles in real estate is... Well, he's sort of like a doctor or a father confessor. I mean, the things people tell him are more or less inviolate. The fact that people want to sell property after death brings me into many homes of grief. The fact that young married people come to me to buy houses brings me into many happy homes. Well, the happy people give me their confidences, and so do the unhappy ones. What the deuce are you leading up to? Nothing. Nothing more important than just offering you my friendship, Mr. Stark. And if you're at the cracking up point, you obviously need friendship. Perhaps it might help if you explain why you... Live alone in this house with fate. Hey, it's all right, fate. Go on, Mr. Parker. Well, if you'd care to tell me what's wrong, it won't go any further, I assure you. Uh, I've kept my story to myself, Parker, for a long while. Maybe it'd be a good thing to have it go the rounds. Perhaps if my story had a wider circulation, somebody hearing it would be able to put me on the right track. Good heaven, man, you're, you're in a bad way. You can say that again. Something eerie about this night. That's why I'm the way I am. Miss Ray. She hated them. Pull yourself together, Mr. Stark. Come on, get it out of your system. Is it? I guess I'll have to. A man can't keep everything bottled up inside him for years and years on end. And so in a living room that had neither warmth nor cheer about it, Greg Stark began his story. And the great dog crept toward him and rested his shaggy head on his master's feet and listened. And so did Arnold Parker. I used to have a violent temper. I'd make threats, I'd rant and roar and accuse. See, my mother was a widow. I was her only child, and my father left her more money than she knew what to do with, so she spent it spoiling me. As I grew older, I rode roughshod over friends and foes alike. And then I met Wendy at a garden party. One of those, those lavish things with a pavilion for dancing and waiters scurrying back and forth with trays of champagne... Wendy was different from anyone there. She was different from any girl I'd ever met. I managed to whisk her away from the rest of the crowd as soon as possible. I've never been to a party like this. Never. It doesn't suit you. It's too big and noisy. Where'd you come from, anyway? I was born in England. I went to a convent school in France. I came over here when my parents died. To stay with my grandmother. And now she's dead, so I'm all alone. You won't be alone very long. 
Not with that face of yours. Not with your figure and your tiny hands and feet. You mean somebody will marry me? Oh, I hope so. I'd like to have a nice husband. If you'd like a difficult husband, I'll apply for the job. What's difficult about you, Mr. Stark? Well, I've got a vicious temper. No woman would put up with me. Only a mother could love me. A wife could love you? And if she did, she'd try to... Change me? I don't think there's any woman strong enough to change me. I wasn't going to say change you. I was going to say if a wife loved you enough, she'd put up with you for as long as possible. And then maybe by that time, you'd love her so much that you'd want to change your ways. It was such a lovely afternoon when this party started. But it's misting up. It's going to be stormy and strange by evening. I hate the mist and the rain. Oh. Would you like to dance, Mr. Stark? They're playing a walk. I loved Wendy from the first. And my mother loved her, too. We were married, and soon after our marriage, Mother died. Wendy and I were alone, moved into this house. She was quiet and sweet and adoring, and so very calm. And as the months went by, I took a strange, sadistic pleasure in trying to break through that calm. I'd try to make her answer me back. I'd go into my fits of temper for no apparent reason. Perhaps I was trying to test her. But she'd listen to me with her head on one side and a sad little smile on her lips, as if she was sorry for me. One night, a night very like this one, I went into a rage over something trivial. Perhaps the steak was overdone. Grace, you'll go too far one day. These tempers of yours... I suppose you're going to tell me I'll break a blood vessel if I don't watch out or have a stroke. Oh, no, you won't have a stroke and you won't break a blood vessel either. You may break my heart. Oh, hearts don't break so easily. Mine will, if you keep on this way. I love you very much, but I'm not made of stone. I'll react eventually. And when you react, what then? What? I don't quite know. Perhaps I'll kill myself. Oh, you love life too much to do that. Not the sort of life we live, Greg. Perhaps I'll disappear. I'd find you. I doubt it very much. Greg. Why don't you escape from your fate? Why do you let it follow after you always like a dog that doesn't know its own mind? Your temper threatens our happiness, our life. And I love you more than anyone. I... I'm warning you, Greg. In just a moment, Betty Davis will be back. Here's something to remember. All goes well in our hut of a hospital, which is high on stilts. And thank heaven it is, as there is about a foot of monsoon mud beneath it. The communists, disguised as bandits, frequently raid the surrounding areas, creating terror and fear. But so far, they have steered clear of us. Those were the words of former Navy Lieutenant Thomas Dooley, coming from deep in the jungles of Laos, only a few miles south of Red China. Dr. Dooley headed the Navy medical team, which treated Vietnamese refugees fleeing communist troops in 1954-55. He didn't forget those refugees, and on his release from service, he took three Navy hospital corpsmen to the village of Nam Ta to care for the isolated people. 
In their hospital, these men fight not only disease, but also the prejudices of the local witch doctors. Dr. Dooley and his Navy corpsman have given us all a thought to remember. We are Americans. As we go, so goes America. And now, back to our story with Betty Davis. As Greg Stark sat there recounting his unusual story, Arnold Parker listened attentively. There was something weird and fascinating about the way Stark spoke. You see, I didn't take Wendy's warning seriously. I didn't try to control my temper. I continued to flare up on the slightest provocation. I criticized her way of dressing, her old-world manners. I scolded when a man glanced at her on the street. I compared her unfavorably with my overindulgent mother. One night, when we'd had a guest for dinner, a colleague of mine, I accused her of flirting with him. I've never looked at another man since I met you, Greg. He never took his eyes off your face. That wasn't my fault. He was here to discuss a commercial problem. He should have stayed out of the room when we were talking. I came by invitation, Greg. You asked me to sit in on the discussion. I'm your wife. I have no place in my life for another man. You should be glad that your friends like me, dear. Well, I'm not. When he was leaving, he kissed your hand and whispered something. Was he making a date with you? Of course not. He was thanking me for a good dinner. Oh, if you expect me to believe that, you're crazy. Even so, it happens to be the truth. I'm going away on business for a couple of days, and you know it. You'll probably be with him tomorrow night at this time. You're forcing me to it, Greg. To what? To call you a liar, for that's what you are. And you're... <gasps> you asked for it, Wendy. You're right. I did ask And now I'll say good night, Greg. Well, you're talking to me as if I'm a stranger, Wendy. Sometimes the men we women marry become strangers. I've a slight headache. I I think I'll sleep late tomorrow. Would you mind having breakfast out? Oh, I'm sorry I slapped you, Wendy, but when you called me a liar, it, it, it put a match to my temper. So am I. Sorry that you slapped me. Good night, Greg. Goodbye. I paced the floor that night, Mr. Parker, furious at myself and equally furious at Wendy. Any other woman would have cried or berated me, but that calm of hers had remained intact. I didn't go to bed at all. But when I looked in at her room next morning, she was peacefully asleep with her head on one hand. During the dark hours, I had decided to put off my business trip but her regular breathing made me see it. She was able to sleep even when I couldn't. So I left as I had planned. When I came home two nights later, through a fine mist-like rain, everything belonging to Wendy had disappeared. And so had Wendy. I searched the house from attic to cellar. And when I'd come back to the starting place, I heard a, a sound at the door. A faint scratching. Yes. I rushed to the door and opened it, and fate walked in, as if he belonged here. He actually seemed to know his way around. I fed him and gave him water. And the next morning... Good heavens, listen to that rain. Yes, it's coming down hard now. Go on, Mr. Stark. The next morning... Well, I, I took fate out on, on an improvised leash. I couldn't get him to walk beside me or in front of me. No matter how I jerked at the leash, he always stayed behind. 
So I took off the leash, hoping that maybe he'd chase a squirrel or a bird as any other dog would. But he continued to walk behind my heels. And all at once, I thought of something Wendy had said to me after one of my bursts of temper. She had said, why don't you escape from your fate? Why do you let it follow after you like a dog that doesn't know its own mind? I'll be down. I was cursed from that day on. I phoned Wendy's friends. Due to me, she had very few friends. I called in the police. I put advertisements in the papers, personals imploring her to come back. I hired private detectives. I offered large rewards. You remember what you asked a while ago? I asked if you'd ever thought of selling this house. Of course I thought of selling it. I'm desperately lonely here. Who wouldn't be lonely? Living in a mausoleum, the ghost of a lost happiness, and a huge dog following in his footsteps. But I can't leave. I've always had an idea that maybe, on another misty night, she'll come back to me. And I must be here when she comes. I must be waiting with fate. For heaven knows how long. Perhaps forever. Oh, that, that, that will be the man from the garage. Uh, yes. <clears throat> yes, well, I'd better go along, Mr. Stark. But if you ever change your mind about selling... If Wendy comes back, I'll sell the house and we'll go to a happier place. And fate will walk ahead. But perhaps he'll vanish just as silently as he appeared. Yes, yes, Mr. Parker. I'll let you know if I ever change my mind about Sally. A strange story of a man who created his own hell on earth. There's nothing worse than loneliness mixed with regret. In the beginning of this story, you met a pleasant man named Henry Ordway, who said he hadn't eaten lunch for so many years that he'd forgotten such a meal existed. He added facetiously that it wasn't because he was on a diet. Now, here again is Betty Davis. It sounds like a silly question to ask. Why did Henry Ordway always go without lunch? But it has a deep significance, believe me. Until then, this is Betty Davis saying goodbye from the Whispering Street. Today's program was written by Margaret E. Sangster. Featured in the cast were Janet Waldo, Parley Bear, Jack Moyles, Hal Peary, and Bill Verdeer. Whispering Streets was directed by Gordon T. Hughes and produced by Ted Lloyd. Your announcer is Dan Coverly. Whispering Streets has come to you through the worldwide facilities of the United States Armed Forces Radio and Television Service. Thank you.